Hey, so I want to start with telling this story. And um, so the other night I was getting up. What's up, Brian? Hey, uh, the other night I was getting up, and um, I get up about four o'clock every morning and uh, to get ready to go to the gym. And um, I do my best. I do my best not to uh, not to turn on any lights or make make any noises or anything so I don't wake anybody else up. You know what I'm saying? So the other morning, I, was, I got up, my alarm went off. Luckily, Brittany didn't roll over and say, turn your alarm off, um, and uh, like she normally does. And so I was like, oh, I'm good. So I started walking in the dark. And to get to where I, what I normally do is the night before, I lay out all my clothes for, for, gym, for the gym in the morning in the living room, um, and I'd get dressed in the dark. And so this one morning, I wake up. I'm like, yes, Brittany didn't scream at me. I'm fine. I'm good. And I start walking through the kitchen toward the living room, and somebody who, whose initials are Lyric um, left the, the dishwasher door down. So I'm walking, and I hit it, my shin hit it, and I fell to the floor grabbing what I thought for sure was an amputated leg. All right? Trying not to scream in pain. And as I'm crawling toward the living room, because I felt like I couldn't walk, God posed this question to me, and uh, first, as he started to pose this question to me, I said, God, why are you talking to me right now? This is one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. I'm dragging my leg behind me, and it's four o'clock in the morning. Like, why are you talking to me? But this question came to my mind. Um, how many people, including believers, are crawling or walking in the dark with seeming, seemingly nothing to hope for in the future? How many people, including believers, are crawling or walking in the dark with seemingly nothing to look forward to, no hope for the future, nothing? And it's in these dark moments of life, right? It's in these dark moments of life that we feel like all hope is gone. It's when we feel like things aren't going to turn out for the good. We know, like, it's in these dark moments that we often feel that we're, that we're alone. You with me? And we feel like we're alone, and as Eminem, the great philosopher, said, I don't want to be alone in the darkness anymore. And I'm tired of living in this darkness. It's like I feel like there's no hope, especially in the current culture and climate in which we live. It just almost seems like things aren't ever going to get better. You with me? Things aren't ever going to get better. And, and, and my hope this morning, my hope this morning, that what we talk about gives us a little hope, like this, this glory that, comes, that, that, that we have awaiting for us, this best that is yet to come that we have waiting for us, gives us a little hope in the midst of our despair and in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of the things going on in this world. Because what God has for us in the future is so much better than what you can think, dream, or imagine. It's even while like Paul would write to the church in, in Corinth, he'd write this, he'd say, so no wonder we don't give up. For even though our outer person gradually wears out, our inner being is renewed every single day. We view our slight, short-lived troubles in, in light of eternity. We see our difficulties as, as the substance that produces for us eternal weighty glory far beyond all comparison. Because we don't focus our attention on what is seen but in what is unseen. But what is seen is temporary, but, this, but the unseen realm is eternal what Paul says is in light of everything that we have going on in our lives, whether it be personal issues, things going on in the world, whatever the case may be, 
we know that these things are just temporary because one day God is going to come and He's going to make all things brand new. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. I will have finally had that six-pack ad that I've been working on forever. We'll have those new bodies, hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Woo, I'm going to have that six-pack. So my hope for today and the following two weeks is to urge us to look at what awaits. To look at what awaits us and realize that, that all darkness vanishes when we see the lamp within our heart. That's, that's, that's the title for today the lamp within our heart, because inside of all of us, God has placed this hope for eternity. Hope to live forever. That's why all these fountain of youth stories were big there for a while, like all these things. Like That's why we all work out to try to live as long as we want to, because we want that life that lasts forever, that life of substance. Even to the fact that it's placed in us by God. Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says this, it says, also he has put eternity into man's heart. It's something that we, that we, that we were created with inside of us, like the, how the world is and how we live right now was not how it was intended to be. We were intended to be like Adam and Eve in the garden with constant communion in it with him. And then sin separates us and now we have this hope or this faith that God will make right everything that has, that has went wrong in this world. That's what we are looking, looking forward to. But sometimes it's in this moment, the moments that we're in, that we lose that, a little bit of that hope, right? When we watch, news, watch the news, when we watch television, when we read on Facebook or Instagram about things going on around the world and even in our own country and even with our neighbors. like Things just seem like... Is there any hope left at all? And this is kind of where, where we're going to pick up the story today is that Jesus just delivered some horrible news to his disciples that he will soon die. And they're like, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? You're, you're supposed to be sitting on a throne. And it, but he's like, no, 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 this has to happen. This has to happen. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. Listen to what Jesus says to him. He says in John 14, 1, he says, let your hearts let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And here's the th funny thing about this command. This is kind of off topic just a little bit, but it's all good because you notice here that Jesus gives a command. And what is that command? Let not your hearts be troubled. That seems a whole lot easier said than done, right? Let not your hearts be troubled. You, you notice like in, in this verse, Jesus gives a command. And, and if you look at it in in in, the, in writing, it's a present tense imperative in its mode. Right? You're like, Derek, that's fancy words. You're right. It is to me too. But it's passive in its voice. So it's present tense imperative. It's a present tense imperative in its mode, this command. But it's passive in its voice. And here's what it means. Jesus wants you to stop an action you're already doing. Jesus wants you to stop an action you're already doing. You're already troubled, you're already frustrated, but he's saying, stop stressing out. Like, Derek, I just can't, I just can't help it. I just can't help it. I, when I get stressed out, I get like this, and I get able to talk really fast, blah, 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 and I start having bad attitudes. Well, here's what this means for us. This is what this tells us, him giving us this command. And it's this, is that we can control our emotions. But Derek, you just don't get it. This is how, how God made me. Uh, God made me where, where I, you know, I, when I get stressed out, I talk really fast, I get really angry, and I, I treat people badly, and I, I freak out about things I shouldn't freak out about, and I'm, I worry, and I, I can't sleep at night, blah, blah, blah. And all Jesus is saying is stop. Just stop. 
Stop living with a troubled heart. Just stop it. It's that simple. You want to live a stress-free life? Stop stressing out. He's in control. Let not your hearts be troubled. And kids, you're like, Derek, I just, I just don't know if I can. Derek, Derek, you don't understand. No, listen, I understand. You know how stressed out I get? One, I work with almost 900 middle schoolers. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get it. I get it. I get, I get stress. I get stress. But here's, but he would, Jesus would, would never give us a command that it was impossible for you to keep. If it's impossible for you to keep, he wouldn't have commanded you to do it. You with me? So with this command comes the capability to complete that command or said command. And those, God, he's given us three things in the story that we're going to look at today in this little message that he gives his disciples. Three things, three things that help us not stress out, especially in a, in a world full of trouble today. You with me? Here's the, here's the first one. Well, you're also going to give you all three. I, all three of these, here's the three things. It's because of who you, who you know, where you will go, and what he will show. Okay? This will make more sense here in a second, okay? It's because of who you know is how you're capable of not stressing out. It's because of who you know, where you will go, and what he will show. Okay? So let's, let's go back and read verse 1 again. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Who do you know? Here's what Jesus is saying. Like, you spent your life studying about God the Father before I came along. And you believed in him and you trusted him. You trusted him to get, get, you, get you to this point in your life. So if you believe in God my Father, believe also in me. Because we've seen how good Jesus has been to our lives, right? We can trust that the reason that we can stand in the moments of hardships is because Jesus first stood in hardship for us. He stood in a, he stood, he stood in a place where we should have been. Like you realize it should have been you on the cross. Not Jesus. It should have been you. Because he was a man spotless, blameless before God and before man. Done nothing wrong. But there had to be a pure blood sacrifice for us to be saved. And he stood in our place. Because Hebrews says, Hebrews says that, that the, the sacrificial system that in the Old Testament was there really just to show us that we couldn't meet the standard, but that there would be a lamb that would come, a, a, a sacrifice that would come that would be worthy, that in our can't, he did. You can have confidence and you can have assurance in the moment that you are because of who you know. And if you're a believer in Christ, you know the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. And that should give you a little hope knowing that he is in control. Because ultimately, with him being in control, guess what? This world is not about you anymore. Take that burden off. You don't have to prove yourself. He proved everything. You with me? He proved everything. And here's a second reason. It's where you will go. Let me show you. Let me show you. I love this. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to told you that I go to prepare a place for you. I'll go ahead and go back. Click back on it. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Here's here's some crazy things. Some, something like five hundred and fifty-two times 
the Bible speaks about heaven. But notice here that he's not speaking necessarily about a location, but he's speaking of a speaking in the relational terms. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus right now is preparing a place for you in his Father's house. That's personal. That's personal. Like, like in my Father's house, Jesus is saying, I am making a, room, making a room for you. Like when somebody comes over to stay at your house at night, what do you do all day long? Brian, what do you do? You clean. You go get that room, you go get that room ready. You get that finest blanket laid out, the one that you wish you would cover up with, but Mama won't let you cover up with because you don't want to get it dirty for when the visitor's over. Like he's making, like he's putting in some effort to prepare a place in your father's house, and you are invited to stay there. You're literally going to get to stay in God's house. In God's house. Now, I know some translations. Some translations use um, use the Say, man, I go to prepare a mansion for you. And that, that word mansion comes from not, a not-so-good translation of the Latin Vulgate, just so you're aware. But let me, let me tell you about these rooms for a minute. And I don't know if you know much about ancient culture, but from when, they were, when Israelites were tent dwellers to even when they would live, make stone or mud houses they would live in, so they would build their tent or build their house right? they're living in, and then they would have a child, and guess what they would do? They would tear down a wall and build an extra room. Right? And then when that kid grew up, talking about live, being 35 and still living with your mom, right? So you, they, they would tear, they, when that boy would get married, that man would get married, his wife would move in there in that same room that was built for him when he was born. And then when they would have kids, guess what they would do? They would build another, they would tear down a wall and build a room for them. That's why if you look at some old ancient houses, it, you can tell, like, rooms are just added to, these, to the original house. That's why sometimes you see them on... Like houses are two level, they then like they, they build rooms for. So with that motif in mind, okay, I want you to think about this. Well, if you think about 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 way into the future, after you die and go to heaven, or you get raptured into heaven, eventually, eventually after the thousand year, years on Earth in the in a millennial kingdom, um, because you know Earth is going to be destroyed. You with me? And it's not like a destroyed, like it's going to blow up and the earth isn't going to exist. It's more like it says that fire comes down and destroys or consumes. And it's really a refining, like the, because fire refines and purifies, right? So he's going to refine this earth. He's going to destroy the current climate of the earth and restore it to something new. Um, he's like, and here's, here's, here's a great thing. So in this new heaven and this new earth, um, this is kind of like getting kind of doctrinal theological for a second, then we'll get back to some hopeful stuff, okay? This is just mind-boggling to me. When thinking about like just having the picture of a room being prepared for us, okay. So the new heaven and the new earth have have very particular oddity to them. There's this city, this capital city, new. This the Bible describes as the New Jerusalem. But what's odd about the New Jerusalem is that it's like its own planet. All right. So the the book of Revelation, John sees a vision of this new heaven and this new earth, and it says, "I saw in Revelation 21." This new Jerusalem coming out of heaven, uh, made by God, prepared by God, coming toward the, toward the new earth. Um, <clears throat> and then John was very curious because it was obviously very big. And so, so John goes, asks the angel that was showing him all these things, like, just how big is it? Will you just look at it? You know what I'm saying? Like, look how big it is. And so when he, when, what are the dimensions, um, dimensions he asked this angel, and, and the angel measured it and told him the dimension. Here's the dimension, just so 
you're aware, this is just very interesting to me. 12,000 furlongs in all directions. And you're like, Derek, that doesn't make any sense because we don't measure by furlongs anymore. Can you help, help us out? Well, I'm glad you asked because I can because I want you to picture with me. It's a perfect cube. Okay? It's a perfect cube. So its width and its breadth and its height are 12,000 furlongs or about 1,500 1, miles cubed. This is just the capital city of Jerusalem. 1,500 miles cubed. I know he's excited about it. Okay? Okay, look, Derek, that, that, still doesn't, that still doesn't give me the picture because I don't know what 15,000 miles cubed looks like. Okay, well, I'm glad you want to go in a little deeper because I'm excited about this. That means it's 2,250,000 square miles. 2,250,000 square miles or 15,000 times the size of London, England. Okay, this is just a capital city. Or, or about the size of our present moon. But, not sphere, cubed. Okay, it's a cube. Okay, so you're like, Dick, so what is that, why does that even matter? Well, this guy, he's a scientist, his name is Henry Morris. He put some pen to paper and did some mathematical equations and kind of figured out with those dimensions, they could, like this capital city could safely take on 20 billion inhabitants. So listen to this. And that's only designating 25% of the city for dwelling places. 20 billion inhabitants with only 25% of it being used for dwelling places. So if you take the square mileage that, that I just gave you a second ago, it, that would safely and easily allow 20 billion people to live occupying only 25% of it, allowing 75 for public works, streets, parks, or whatever. Not saying those things are going to be there. I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? And that would, that would give each of the 20 billion inhabitants of the city a cubic block or... So it's making cube, cube, okay. Seventy-five acres on each side. That's seventy-five acres that way, that way, that way, that way, that way, and that way. For you, just in the capital city, just in the capital city, you're like, no, this is really that important. Huh? I mean, it's interesting. It's not that important. Now, I'm believing because of seeing Jesus' post-resurrection body. Not well, not seeing it, of course, but reading about it. Like in how he could move in his resurrected body vertically, horizontally. He says he's descended into Hades and talked to some people, and it like and like like we're going to be able to move vertically or horizontally in our in our areas. You like in the capital city, the room that he is preparing for you is seventy-five freaking acres cubed. What? I wish my house was like one percent of that. You know what I'm saying? That, that, I mean, that's just crazy to think about when God and it says, I go to prepare a room for you. That's not a room. That's my own universe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what, like, and just to think, for 2,000 plus years, he's been working on that space for me in my father's house. You're, like, not only did he take time to come die for us, but he's preparing to bring us home. That's crazy to think about. And that's not counting all the space in the new heaven and the new earth. That's just the capital city of Jerusalem. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know, I guess I'm the only one that's like, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm such a dork, I'm sorry. But isn't, that, isn't that interesting to think about? This capital city coming down for us, like the dwelling place of God on this new earth. And we have a room right there with us. 
right there with them. So, and here's the thing. I'm also, this is not part of my notes here, but I'm going to say those people who are like, well, I just wish he would, I'm, I don't, he doesn't have to give me a mansion. I just want, I just put me in a shack down by, down by, the, by the river. No, 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 no. You should want everything that God has for you. Whether it be here on earth or in the afterlife. Don't, don't be cheating God. Like, no, he has gone to prepare a place. Don't cheapen it by saying, just give me whatever. No, let him work. Let him give you something. You know what I'm saying? So, let's get back to the regular sermon. Okay. John 14, 2 and 3, it says this. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, have, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That part is talking about the rapture of the church and taking his bride home. And that where I am, you may be also. This is the third reason, third reason that you that you shouldn't lose hope, that you should that, that you not let your heart be troubled. You shouldn't be troubled, one, because of who you know, and that's Jesus, the Savior and Lord of your life. Two, because of where you go, because he's going to prepare a place for you and it's going to be banging. You know what I'm saying? And number three, it's what he will show. This is personal. This is personal. He is preparing a place or a room for you. Not for, anybody, not for anybody else. I mean, he is for other people too, but you with me? He's preparing a place for you, specifically for you and no one else. Because he knows you more deeply than you know yourself, and he knows what you will want in your room. I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. Can you imagine this room? Imagine this room. We have this promise that I will come back to get you. Speaking of the rapture of the church, I'm not coming back for anybody else. I'm not coming back to try a do-over. No, my do-overs are done. I'm coming back to find you, to get you and bring you home. To bring you home. Ever since Jesus spoke these words, it's in theological terms, it's what the church has called the blessed hope. The blessed hope. The blessed hope that what Jesus has promised since everything he promised us in the past has now come true that he would send somebody that send somebody to come die for our sins which he did we have that hope as, as assurance we know now have this blessed hope that he will come back to take back what is his finally now, I don't know if you've been watching lately I know the church has said this for years but it could happen anytime there's a blessed hope my favorite part of this of this passage is the last part of that verse. I want to read it again. It says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. I love that last part. I love it. That where I am, you will be also. The greatest thing about what awaits us is that we will be face to face with our Savior and Lord. I want you to write that down. The greatest thing about what awaits us is that we will be face to face with our Savior and Lord. It's really not about the room. It's really not about streets of gold. It's really not about the land of milk and honey. It's not really about any of these things or that there are no tombstones or not no, aren't any graves or, or that the river's flowing in the wasteland. Like those things are great. Those are byproducts 
of the fact that we are face to face with our Savior and Lord. That is the greatest news. The thing that we've been longing for our whole life, our whole Christian life, to be face to face with the one that saved us. This is the greatest thing about what awaits us. Is that we will finally be face to face with Jesus. This is why we don't give up. This is why we don't let our hearts be troubled. That one day we'll be face to face with Jesus. The reason that we can praise. The reason we still have a reason to praise. That we sing about is because we know that one day, no matter how bad this life gets, we have a home waiting for us. A home that we will share with our Savior and Lord. In my Father's house, many rooms. And I go to prepare a place with you so that you may go, so that I may come back and you be with me. That's the greatest thing, is that we will be with Jesus. Face to face. And the question becomes, well, what, is, what is it going to be like there? I love how Revelation describes this place. I mean, it describes it in many, in many ways, but I love how this describes it. He says, Then I saw the new heaven and new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared, and the sea was gone. Verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. I'm going to pause right there for a minute. So Jesus comes to earth, Emmanuel, God with us, and now He brings His home with Him this time. Because He's permanently here. He's permanently staying, not going anywhere. God Himself will be with them. And I love verse 4. He says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. One translation says, all these things ceased to exist. I love that picture. That the very pain, things that pain us right now, things that give make our hearts trouble, guess what? They'll just be distant memories. Because we will be face to face with Jesus our Savior and Lord. And He will wipe, take away every pain that we felt, every sorrow that we felt, every struggle that we had. Everything will be gone. Sickness gone. Cancer gone. Hate gone. Name it. Name something bad in your life. Guess what? It will be gone one day. No more sickness. No more pain we stand face to face with Jesus. So how do we get or receive this blessed hope? How can we live a life of hope? Well, Jesus tells us, he says, and you know the way to where I'm going. And just like good old Thomas, right? My buddy Thomas, he says, Jesus, he says, no, we don't know, Lord. Thomas, you better pop down and you're going to get I mean, something about saying no to Jesus just doesn't seem like probably something you shouldn't do. You know what I'm saying? No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus had told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So do you want to be a part of this blessed hope? You want to go to that place where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more struggles, no more none of that stuff? 
The only way to get there is to trust by trusting, believing, and surrendering to the one who will soon will see will soon see face to face. Write that down. Trusting, believing, and surrendering to the one who you, you will see soon face to face. There's so much more that God has awaiting for us that we're going to talk about in the next two weeks. But if you get anything out of these next three weeks, it's this. The only way that you can ever have hope in this world, have hope for your future, and have hope that your past will be